Are you ready for some espresso shots of Agile and Lean? Well, first, we just wanted to wish one of our listeners out there a very happy birthday. Alan, many happy returns, brother. And now, some coffee. morning and welcome to another episode of the Agile Coffee Podcast. This is episode 23. My name is Victor Bonacci. I can be reached on Twitter at Agile Coffee. Around the table today, I've got my friend Dale Ellis. Good morning, Dale. Morning. Glad to be back. Dale is at the Digital Dale on Twitter. Dr. Dave Cornelius. Well, thank you, Vic, for having me back once again. Dr. Dave is at Dr. Dave Info on Twitter. He's also got the website Dave. Cornelius. Is there a hyphen in there? Dash Cornelius. Dave Dash Cornelius.com. And Larry Lawhead. Good morning. Larry can be reached on email at lawhead5 at hotmail. All right, we've got our cards all prioritized and um, looking good. Lots of great topics today. And I only say that because the first one is mine. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, our first topic today is the Agile Coach Kit. Where I'm at, the place of work, uh, we've got – actually, John Jorgensen did this here. He was working here, and he um, he created these coach kits for us. He went out and he bought these these lunch boxes at the dollar store, um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles lunch box. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in it, he's got everything that, that he thinks that we need in a kit, and we've added things to it. But, you know, it has what you would expect. It's got Sharpie markers. It's got whiteboard markers, and it's got some, uh, like – pens and colored pencils, things like that. It's also got 3x5 index cards and uh, sticky notes, sticky notes of various colors and various sizes. They all fit in the lunchbox, but it's got these. He's got his markers, by the way, I should say, um, separated into different baggies, whether they're permanent or not, you know, so that way he doesn't accidentally write on a whiteboard with a Sharpie or something like that. He's got a roll of blue tape. Yep. He's got, uh, we've got, I should say, um, some connectors for various laptops to the... Uh, the projector, you know, the HDMI adapter, things like that in there. Um, and I'll stop there. I'll see what other things we need to have in a kit. But what's nice is now it's handy. It's right at my desk. So if someone says to me, hey, can you take over for me at this retro or at this meeting, I could just grab my kit and go. Um, I mean, it makes it convenient for my own meetings. But if someone says, can you do this other meeting at the drop of a hat, I'm all prepared. I could take it and run. It's so funny. I've, I've seen the, the 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 kit that John has put together, like you know, maybe a year or so ago, <laughs> with yeah. the, the 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 Ninja Mutant Turtles or the Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh-huh. Um, essentially, I kind of keep the same thing in one of my laptop bags. Yeah. As I'm running around doing retrospectives, um, one of the things that I do is, is to keep a lot of the same things that you have identified in the bag, and also another thing that I keep is the easel posted. Um, that I have right by my desk. I have two or three of those big easel post-its just mm-hmm. in case that I'm in a room mm-hmm. and there isn't a whiteboard to write on. So that's another thing that I keep in my kit mm-hmm. that, I, that at any point in time that someone, hey, could you help to uh, facilitate um, an innovation session or a retrospective session? I just grab my, my, my laptop bag and I grab my, my big easel post-it. I have everything that I need, tape, 
Sharpies, different sites, Post-its, adapters for different types of uh, laptops, iPads, mm-hmm. iPhones, Lightnings, you, you name it. I keep it all in there because – and I kind of like got that from John because we've had this discussion. I'm, yeah, wouldn't it be cool that if we – I say, yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. Great, great toolkit. So we've got. Um, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off and see if you guys have anything else. Do you have a kit, Dale? Or yes, I do. In my current environment, I seldom use it <clears throat> because we're they're so oriented toward. If it doesn't fit onto a computer screen, we're not interested. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, if you can't WebEx it, they're kind of not interested. But I do have one. I've I've used it occasionally at some previous uh, gigs. I'm going to start using one. I I was thinking of something that I use Mm -hmm. a lot. It's not in the lunchbox, but I hope to get one soon. Mm -hmm. It's just normal tape because if I want to put my index cards on the wall, just – Tape them up there. Put them up with the blue tape. It looks a little dorky. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so but but that blue tape is great for like dividing off lines yes, and stuff. I, yeah, because exactly. you can, um, uh, yeah, it doesn't like rip off the paint. We've also got um, glue sticks, scissors, yeah. things like that. Transparent yeah. tape would be good if we don't have it in there That's already. We'll throw it in there. Um, I went out to uh, to the dollar store and bought just a bunch of little stickers. My daughter loves them, but, I mean, I also <laughs> give them to my teams so they can do dot voting with stickers. Uh, they don't have to use a Sharpie, especially if we're using those easel pad, the flip chart papers. Uh, sometimes it's easier to see a sticker that's a little bit bigger. Um, lets them express themselves, too, if they're choosing all the rainbow and unicorn stickers versus uh, the frowny face <laughs> stickers. <laughs> you ever notice that uh, with, with some of those stickers? Like when you have experienced software developers, because the group, the organization that I work for, you have tons of very experienced. Oh, no, we're, we're not using those stickies. You know, we're rather just dot vote with our pen. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, come on, guys. Mm-hmm. How do we get you excited about this? Yeah. What's excited about this, Dave? So yeah. It's interesting <laughs> that the attitudes that some people will take on about what they do want to use and what they refuse to use. So sometimes we have to be flexible in that. But great, great stickies are awesome. Yeah, you, you, if you're dealing with people who you know, don't want to use like you know butterflies and, and uh, Hello Kitty <laughs> things, you can, you, you can always uh, pop for just the colored dots at Staples. <laughs> we have race cars and dinosaurs and things like that too. So, oh, okay, so, so they do get oriented. We, we've okay. got a wide, I've got a wide range. <laughs> um, hey, but there's another category that I wanted to talk about um, in our coach kit, and that is um, I've got. One bit, one index card that has the Agile Manifesto written on oh, it. Oh, this is a very good idea. And on the other side, I've got the 12 values, the Agile values written on it. So with that said, what else can we put in a kit? I do, I've do. i got a similar thing. i got a collection of things that were published by uh, Carbon 5. I, I guess you could cut them down to like 3x5 cards. It was not like available on a printout. And they've got – it's it's some interesting like meeting techniques. It like tells you how to run a fishbowl and some mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I do have those in my kit. Yeah, I've got, um, I've got the planning poker cards. Um, I've also got some other cards. I want to look at the Carbon 5 type cards that, that you're talking about. Yeah, I'll look it up and I'll see if I can find the link to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll throw that Still in the show right. notes. So um, listening online, go to agilecoffee.com slash episode 23 and find what we uh, are talking about, what types of things will be in the kit. Feel free to use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee on Twitter and let us know, do you use a kit, an Agile coaching kit or a Scrum Master's kit? And um, if you do, what types of things do you have in there or would you like to have in there? Any last thoughts on this topic, gentlemen? 
Well, moving on, we've got a card from Larry that says, what was your most memorable retrospective? I put this in here because I believe, at least in the way I view it, and that's the thing I like about Agile so much or Scrum so much, it's, it's all how you see certain things, and you put these various ideas together to get a real big, broad picture. But at any rate, in my opinion, our last um, retrospective is what our best. And um, I was concerned that we don't get stuck in a rut. You do ask the same three questions, you know, what went well, what went bad, uh, and what are our action items for the coming uh, sprint, what, do we wanna, what are our priorities, what do we want to do better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went online and I did some digging around and I found this model with six variations. And if I remember right, it was something like, um, uh, what are you doing now that you want to continue doing? What do you, what do you want to start doing? What do you want to do less of? Uh, what do you want to uh, stop doing altogether? And then the the last one was kind of interesting. What puzzles you? What you know, and that was a good one because we're we're talking about frameworks a lot in our team right now, and so I thought, well, let's see if somebody's stuck on something, and and I also wanted to get this self organization promote self organization even more. So I thought you get to that question, and something puzzles somebody. Somebody else could go, oh yeah, I've got the answer for that. I figured that out, and because they need. Our team needs to continue getting used to helping each other out, not just with the, the practical coding or anything, but mentally uh, engage with each other uh, in, in figuring out problems. And this retrospective worked out really well. <laughs> we have a new guy on the team, and he doesn't have a lot of scrum experience. And I thought, oh, gee, I just finally got this team to where it works real well. And, but that's, that was funny because he came in with all kinds of stickers on what puzzles him. So he had the puzzles part just packed. And as the retrospective went through, and he was wondering, you know, why I even have it. What's a retrospective? What is this, a kickoff? No, no just, just hang on. You'll see what it is. Just relax. It'll work out. And so as we were having a retrospective, he was taking these, these stickers off going, oh, he answered that one. Yeah, okay, fine. That's all right. No, no, no don't, have, don't have to talk about that. Like, yeah. But then when we were done, he had only like one or two things on there. So it was it was a good time, and the the interaction and the self organization that was occurring was was ama- amazing. I think it's very important to always mix up your retros. Not not always try something new, but but keep it fresh as much as possible. Because um, if you find something that works and it's working well for you know three, four, five consecutive retros, you might find that people are paying less and less attention yeah, exactly right so then throw it throw a new exercise and just replace like one of your three you know just swap out one of them um type of thing do you have any uh uh like rules of engagement or or any kind of like ground rules that you set for people like engaging with each other in a retro because there is this opportunity for people to kind of say you know uh, i didn't like what this person did oh, or yeah. you know yeah, what I do is I, I make it very clear that it's never the person, but it's the process. Uh, and if it is the person, then f- you can always talk about that later. But I, I like to go over overboard with the idea that it's the process we're talking about here. We have If we can't trust each other, then we've, we've got another issue that we need to discuss. But it's it's the process. So I keep put. It's the process, stupid. It's the process, and and I and they and we've got it as a team. I believe, and we feel very comfortable with that now. And there was when we when I first started with this team, a lot of finger pointing, and it wasn't a very positive environment necessarily. But mm. now we've we've gotten over that uh, that situation really real well. 
And, you know, just thinking of memorable uh, retrospectives, um, one thing I've done is, is to, to have lunch and learn. Because so oh, yeah, we have m- many, many scrum teams where I work. And one thing that came up is like, do you have any new ideas? So I, I use the whole framework that, that Diana Larson came mm-hmm. up with, those five steps. Yep. And so I built out a, a presentation that uses roughly about five or six different practices or techniques mm-hmm. for doing retrospectives. And I said, look, let's walk through this. And I pretty much did a launch and learn, make sure that everyone was engaged, the scrum masters, some of the team members. But there were five techniques. I said, every sprint, pick one. Mm-hmm. and try that. So I listed out about five to seven different techniques that they could use in terms of how they gather data, um, walking them through the, the, the process of, of doing root cause analysis, and, and how do you engage to make sure that we have you know the emotional seismograph mm-hmm. right off the top just to engage, engage people. But I'll make that available because I have this presentation that talks about advanced retrospective uh, techniques, which really helps people to walk through a process and you know, get better at, at, at really gathering information and collaboration. Um, the five steps are opening, the ones that Diana said, yeah. opening, gather your data, analyze the data, come up with action five. items, I think it is, and then closing the or something and like closing that. closing is the last one. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I'll I, send it out. I typically follow that. Um, so real quick before we go, the ones that I, I find a lot, I have a lot of fun with for my retrospectives. For gathering data, I use the emotional seismograph. I always have been kind of keeping a thermometer of happiness, but this, I think, is, is help, more helpful for that. Um, I use circles and soup a lot yeah, for analyzing and yeah. kind of identifying the top actionable items. Um, those are two that I go back and back to often. But one thing that I like to do with teams maybe once a quarter or so is throw in like a lean coffee. We'll do a lean coffee retrospective. It gets everyone participating in a different way. They're using the cards. Um, they're having more discussion people who might not necessarily talk so much in a retrospective if they write a card that gets a lot of dots well suddenly their voice is being heard whereas otherwise they might kind of be a little bit more quiet and standoffish um so a lean coffee is a retrospective device and that takes up the whole session um i just use only a lean coffee for for that session yeah i mean Mm -hmm. in, in every retrospective that i that i run i make sure that there's always an opportunity for everyone to write down their ideas, mm-hmm. no matter what. It, you know, so kind of like lean coffee-ish, but mm-hmm. the fact that they have to document their ideas, and then we can discuss them out, out loud. And that way, make sure that everyone's voice is heard at all retrospectives. That's good. Cool. So what retrospective techniques do you find valuable? Let us know on Twitter using the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. Our next topic comes from Dale, and it is story mapping, and you're going to tell us about a new book that you're reading. Oh, yes. Uh, I just finished the new book by Jeff Patton, User Story Mapping, Discover the Whole Story, Build the Right Product. Hmm. He doesn't lay claim to inventing this uh, technique. He thinks he kind of stumbled across it. Uh, at the same time as as some other people he's he's definitely the the best known voice for promoting this technique and it's a way of using user story cards to map out your story visually mm-hmm. uh in a over a large area uh to figure out what the user flow is going to be, what the different parts of a product might be, the different major functional areas uh and then to organize how using that kind of like on a horizontal axis and on a vertical axis, identifying 
what the necessary levels are, are of complexity to each one of those things. And, and by mapping it out this way, and then you can add extra horizontal guidelines uh, in terms of like tape or something across the board, uh, and you can reorganize your stories uh, using these vertical sections as mm-hmm. versions or releases uh, to say, it's like, okay, this is the functionality that we want. Our first release, this is the functionality we want. Our second, and it's a great visual way for uh product owners and analysts to map out and, or, or, and conceptualize an entire product, uh, <clears throat> even some very and, – and I've, I've seen him done this, uh, do this on videos where he's uh, done workshops uh, for rather large, complicated products and gotten a big team of people together, and they were able to, able to map out and organize the whole wow. thing uh, within a few hours uh, in, a, in a, you know, less than a day-long session. And uh, so it's it's a it's a great technique for that. It's a fairly simple technique, and he doesn't he actually most of the book is not spent actually talking about that. He spends like maybe a couple of the chapters talking about the core of the of the technique mm-hmm. uh, and the specifics of it. But he spends the rest of the book talking mostly about user stories and the concept behind user stories, what they were originally intended to be. Uh, he's, he had extended conversations with Kent Beck uh, mm-hmm. about, what the, about how these things got started uh, and the, the people at Connextra um, about how the, the, the user story format invo- uh, evolved or the popular mm-hmm. one and what those are used for. It's, it's probably the the, I think, uh, in my humble opinion, it's probably the most important book on user stories hmm. since uh, uh, Mike Cohn's book. Yeah. Uh, it, because, like I said, he spends like one or two chapters in the book talking about the, the story mapping technique. Right. But a lot of the rest of it is all about how to, con- uh, how to write effective user stories, right. um, how communication uh, is more important than the written Sure. Word that, yeah. that he, he emphasizes in the book that the shared understand shared documentation is not shared understanding, mm-hmm. uh, and so there's just a lot of great ideas about it and how to evolve your product. We, he's an experienced product owner, and so that's his that's his background. What are the three C's? A uh, card Con- conversation, conversation confirmation. confirmation. He talks about mm-hmm. that. So user stories aren't part of the original Scrum. They're not core Scrum, but they feel like it because they've been around so long, especially, you know, Mike Cohn's book uh, went into it so so deeply. I'm remembering um, a few weeks back I was at a CSPO training. Uh, I was talking about it in episode 19 or 20, Kate McGaw's thing, and she had gone over story mapping, and I hadn't ever really done story mapping before, but, you know, I'm not a product guy, I'm not a PO, but still I got a lot out of that exercise, and now I'm looking forward to Patton's book. Um, and using story mapping, and because I don't think we use it in our workplace, but it seems like it would offer a lot of value to uh, to the Scrum organization. Yeah, and, and not only is it of value to the product owner side, but it's it's also of, of uh, great value to the the team that's actually building it, mm. uh, the product, because they can they can look at this board mm-hmm. uh, and this map and see. Okay, this is what's coming up. This is what they're thinking of. This is what they're planning. So they're not doing dealing with things just like in okay, what is this user yeah. story that we're, we're right. that we're building in this sprint? They can see what's coming up, uh, right. even two versions down the road, and go, oh, that's what they're thinking. So yeah. sometimes that that can affect the way you'll architect something. How's it interrelate? Yeah, I was right. going to ask you about this. Uh, we, I, because I, I'm just starting this book too. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, oh. I think it's the very same one. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I was wondering. I'm a, I'm a scrub master. I'm not a product owner. Um, 
Could be, yeah. Could be that said. Uh, but how if, – if my product owner doesn't want to do this, but there's value in it for us as a team, how can I – what can I do to, to incorporate that? Well, if the well, if the if the product owner doesn't want to create the story map, then it, that's the, they're they're a crucial component in that. Yeah, yeah. The, the team can't do it's it themselves the unless the, unless they've got the entire unless they've got the entire backlog uh, at their disposal mm-hmm. and can look at it somewhere and go, oh, okay, well, this is how we think this is going to fit yeah. together. Yeah, I see. It's a pretty simple technique, and je- and and uh, you, you can give somebody a. There's a good video up on the internet now on YouTube that was posted within the last few months. Um, uh, Jeff Patton uh, talks about user stories, and he, and he goes over the story mapping technique a little bit uh, in that presentation, and it's only like 30 minutes. It's a pretty quick and easy uh, concept to demonstrate to people. And, and one of the techniques that he, he uses in the book, too, to, to coach people and to instruct them on, on how to get started with, a story, with this story mapping technique is to story map what you do in the morning to get ready for work nice. because it's something that everybody yeah. does it gets your mind out yeah. of like what is our product what we're building right now exactly. and so everybody can relate to it and then they, and then he, he talks about it's like okay here's what here's the process that you go through here's the steps that you take every morning what are the kinds of what are the things that you think are absolutely essential and what things can you skip it's like you know you probably can't skip taking a shower but you can skip brushing your teeth maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you start thinking about <laughs> so you start thinking about things like that it's like what are the essentials what's the minimum viable product yeah. and so yeah. what are your versions all right um agilecoffee.com episode 23 for links to not only the book but also this video on youtube couple more topics. Uh, first is a topic that we got off of Twitter. Jason Little, at Jason Little, uh, threw a question up there, and, and he didn't necessarily point it to, to the podcast, but I saw it and I thought, wow, this would make a really interesting question, and you guys voted as well. So we've got the question that says, why are we still failing with Agile? Over 256,000 certified Scrum Masters, CSMs out there, what gives? Now, we don't have Jason here to provide any context. What does he mean by failing with Agile? But I think there's enough there to that question that we can start hypothesizing and throwing our two cents. I think we have to, first of all, ask, who are we? Um, hmm? You know, I, there, there are scrum, scrum masters that aren't really evangelists, if you know what I mean. They're not really mentoring the organization in the ways of scrum they're not maybe mentoring their teams even in the way mm-hmm. of scrum and they allow themselves to be i don't know, push around maybe i'm just guessing here i'm just sure. um but if you don't have a scrum master that's really totally convinced he's not only he hasn't just drank the kool-aid he's taken a bath and he <laughs> he showers in it every morning then i can see where he might start giving away, you know, give away. Like, oh, yeah, you don't have to come to the stand-up today. That's fine. Or, you know, that retrospective, let's just skip it this time. And you start leaving out these, and it's a simple framework, but if you start leaving out these simple things, like, oh, the meetings are too long, like, what, sprint planning, three hours? Come on. (laughs) Uh, Do we really want to do a a review this time? I'll skip it. People, they'll they'll take what we give them. And you start making compromises, and it's a slippery slope. How about um, those who get the CSM just because they have to by their their yeah, employer, yeah. or maybe they're not even in a scrum master role; they just got the CSM because you know it might look good on the resume yep. or or something else. Yeah. I, I, I would like to say it's quality versus quantity, mm-hmm. and 
even though you have 256k CSM, like you said, Vic, it's that some people just get the designation because it looks good. That's yeah, a quarter I, of a million people. Yeah, that's yeah. a but, lot. But, but you know what's really interesting is that there's so many factors of why agile fail, mm. and and as a researcher. And when you start to dig into that, it's, it's kind of interesting that there's not a lot of research out there that's available that you could point to that says, you know, 400,000 people have tried Agile, and here are the reasons why. You can't quantify it. No. You know, even from a qualitative context, you can't really put your arms around it because there's so many factors. And the dynamic of organizations in, in terms of changing leadership, mm-hmm. we have one leader who loves yeah, the, 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 the mm-hmm. practice of agility. Next regime comes in, no, no, no agility here. Mm-hmm. We don't like that stuff. So there's so many factors that we have to look at to understand why are we failing. Yeah. And so what you find is that you find more people talking about why we're succeeding. Yeah, I was just <laughs> thinking, what if, what if we right. spun the question to like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's um, a good one. look at how we're succeeding with only a quarter of a million scrum masters. Right. <laughs> right. Well, like you said, there, there's probably of that quarter of a million uh, certified Scrum masters. How many of them are using Scrum? I know an awful mm-hmm. lot of people. If you go to if you go to uh, uh, any PMI uh, meeting, uh, uh, you'll find a lot of people who are sort of who have a, a CSM and are not using it at all. Their organizations are totally not Scrum. They're not. They're not. Not only are they they're not steeped in it, they're not using it at all. Uh, they they got it because they thought it was good. It would be a good decoration mm-hmm. uh, on yeah. the resume, uh, and and then they've and their intentions may have been good at the time, uh, but their organizations just aren't using it. They're working for an employer that that's using some other methodology, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I think the the reason why some of these agile frameworks like Scrum can fail in a lot of organizations is by and large a uh, a, a lack of organizational support for it. There you go, yeah. Um, I and very uh, a very different concept of what, or, or they think that they can use some of the mechanics of Scrum uh, and not use any of the underlying values um, and that it's uh, and that, that will achieve the results that they want. Or they're going for a different result. They're, they're, they want a better way, and I've, I've worked for organizations that have done this, where they, they implemented a Scrum, some, you know, something close to a Scrum framework, in order to get trackability on what the on the team producing uh, something every time period, every sprint. Other than that, they weren't concerned about the underlying value system. They weren't concerned about the flexibility of the product. They set out with a defined set of big requirements at the very beginning, said, this is what you need to accomplish over this given period of time. We are simply going to divide that up into two-week segments, and you must... Uh, Produce what we expect you to produce within each one of those two those segments or, or iterations. Um, so, I, I've seen that in more than one case too, where there's there's a different expectation of what agile and what Scrum are really meant to do, uh, and how to do it. Yeah. But there's something even more fundamental, and the fundamental things that we all miss is that it's not a silver bullet. That's and true. until we, we come to that realization and, and recognize that agility and the practice of scrum or whatever flavor you want to call it will not solve everyone's problem. And it's just that simple. And, and, and the thing is, until you recognize that, then you are already in a failed state. Mm-hmm. Because everyone, oh, let's just apply it here and apply it there. Well, no. It's, it, you may have to say, like, you know what? Maybe we have to do a little bit more Kanban-ish. You know, type approach, or maybe this just doesn't work here at all because of 
right attitudes, right support, right, the right people. So yeah. there are a lot of factors when we talk about just broad things. Why is Agile failing? There are a lot of things to consider in the process. Well, again, without Jason in the room, I could yeah. look at the question and say, does the CSM need to change? Does do the do the Scrum masters who are taking the CSM course need to be armed with a different mindset or a different set of skills or additional skills? Are they missing something to accomplish just what you said? They need that that openness to mix up the the frameworks or or try different things. Um, You know, it's a lot like diet. You know, people, uh, they go on diets. They want to follow the book, but they don't want to embrace the lifestyle change. And Mm -hmm. if you want to... Mm -hmm. You know, you, you reach a certain weight because of a certain lifestyle that you've yeah. you've uh, you've um, committed yourself to. In order to change the weight, you have to change your lifestyle. I think mm-hmm. I think uh, Scrum is a lot the same way. As, a, as an organization, you have to be willing to change your lifestyle. I like that analogy. Um, yeah. In order to make this really work. And mm-hmm. are you wanting to do that? Are you wanting to give up authority? Do you want to really embrace self-organization? Do you want to have cross-functional teams? Or do you want to have siloed, this developer works on this, if he leaves the company, we're messed up. There's all kinds of things. But I think it's a, it's a lifestyle change that has to be the underlying foundation on which you put uh, the Agile framework, Scrum framework. And if that isn't there, then it's going to be a rough ride, and it may not be successful. The scrum diet. Yes. <laughs> the scrum diet. It's good. <laughs> the diet of agility is to the be di- lean. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I hear a new book. I <laughs> Theoretically, that could work. That could work. <laughs> All right. Tell Agile Coffee is the hashtag if you want to join the conversation. One last card for today. Uh, Dr. Dave, uh, in a previous podcast, you had mentioned a book by James C. Hunter, The Servant. You want to tell us more about that? It's, it's one of the books that we're reading at work as part of our club. And I've read lots of stuff about servant leadership and lots of books about um, different types of, of leadership and practices that um, people may embrace. But there's three things that, that stood out to me in reading this book. And the, the concept that leaders really volunteer to be leaders. Mm-hmm. Very, very seldom, you may have the reluctant leader here and there. So the, the thing is, if you volunteer to be a leader, then you have to step up mm-hmm. and embrace what you, you know, what's expected of you as a leader. And if you're voluntold, well, even in that context, you still have to step up mm-hmm. and embrace the fact yeah. that you're here to support people and yeah. guide them to provide a value to your organization or even to a team, whatever context that you're involved in as a leader. But the other concept that it looks at is power and authority. Yeah. And the great man concept of leadership, I beat you over the head and make you do what I want. And so, or you may leverage your authority and use your authority as an aspect of influence of how do, be, how do I become more of a transformational versus a transactional oh, yeah. leader? Yeah. And then you walk good. into the third point. So tasks are very transactional. R- relationship are very transformational. That's right. So uh, those are the three key concepts that, that I grasp from this book. And it's more in the, the form of a story. It's, it's not big theory, but it's big storytelling of, of this, the author being lost and trying to find his way back to where he's actually 
responsible as a leader because he runs this humongous manufacturing organization. And the reality is he has a revolt going on, and it's because of he didn't build a relationship. He's, he's building tasks. You've got to build these things. You have to meet these numbers. The reality is that they got so pissed off that they wanted to build in a union, and his boss told them, the reason that you have this revolt is because we have a leadership problem. And he's going, no, we don't have a leadership problem. Mm-hmm. We have a people problem. Well, dude, you volunteer to be a leader. You're responsible for influencing the behaviors of the people that are following you. Yeah. And you're not truly inspiring new leaders in, in, in the aspect of it. So it was a really interesting context to walk us through the, the idea that we volunteer for leadership. We have to manage the, the idea between power and authority and also balance between task and relationships. And I, I see that throughout as a scrum master, product owner, um, a, a coach, and even the team members participating and the leaders of the organization. You know, this is a great read, simple, easy read. So this book, uh, like you just said, it's a fictionalized account. It's, it makes – there's characters in there and yes. story that makes yep. it easy to read. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if it was more of a workbook or with exercises in it, that type of thing. There's no mm-hmm. exercises right. in it. it. It's really mm-hmm. something that you can sit down and read. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of like um, – I'm just spacing on that, that book about DevOps. Uh, oh, yeah, Phoenix Project. The Phoenix yeah. Project. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like in, within that context. Yeah. And so and it then, has family in there and right. the relationship of – the family dynamics of, of how that is broken because of lack of leadership. Right, that makes it very accessible. I remember um, the five dysfunctions of team. Yes, it has a manga Patrick, version. And yes. Going back to uh, the goal, which is something yeah. I read years and years yeah. back. Uh, you know, making it more accessible to people who don't want to dive into something that's like heavy on theory yeah. and all that. Um, no, the reason I asked if if there was like a workbook. I'm, I'm still. I love the. I'm fascinated by the topic of servant leadership. There's uh, other books out there on servant leadership. I'll put them in the show notes. And and a few years back, I went to a, a conference, a gathering where we, uh, I think it was Tom, Tom Louie, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, L-O-O-Y, who's uh, currently with um, Big Visible. But he did a workshop on mapping your path to servant leadership. Hmm. And I found that really useful because he had talked about, you know, I can't recreate the whole talk here and now, and I'm not going to do that, but, but we had gone through... Um, kind of identifying our own personal journeys and um, steps along the way. And, and in hindsight, you're like, oh, yeah, that's where I picked up this part of my skill for, for servant leadership. And um, and I'm always looking for more activities that kind of helps draw that out of me and, and my teams that I work with. Yeah. So the book is called The Servant, A Simple Story About the True Essence of Leadership by James C. Hunter. That brings us to the end of this coffee episode. So um, I want to thank you guys once again for being here. Uh, Dale is on Twitter at the Digital Dale. Uh, Dr. Dave can be found on Twitter at Dr. Dave Info, all one word. Also the website dave-cornelius.com. And uh, Larry Lawhead can be on email at lawhead5, that's the number five, at hotmail.com. And Dave, how's Five Saturdays going? Do you have anything uh, you want to share about that at this point? Or oh, Five Saturdays is fabulous. We just established um, a leadership council. And so what Five Saturdays is all about is, um, is teaching kids mm-hmm. technology, agility, mm-hmm. effective communications, root cause analysis, some of the, the core principles that we use to solve problems um, within our organization. 
So we have, we've just finished the, all of the curriculum for training the facilitator, mm-hmm. and where we will be training facilitators and, and how to really run a Five Saturdays program. So we have a website. It's called Five Saturdays, the number five, mm-hmm. Saturdays.org. Yeah. And we have people who have been reaching out to us from Brazil, from South America, uh, from China, mm-hmm. uh, people within the United States. So we have a few things planned for this year. Good. And we look forward to share more about that. And the, the good thing, uh, the Scrum Alliance just um, sponsored our event. So oh, I'm fantastic. really, really stoked about that. Congratulations. So look yeah. forward to share more uh, of that with, with this community and, and how you could participate and, and really um, help to change the, the world. Because I, I think we have a big issue with STEM, science, technology, engineering, mm-hmm. and math. We know there's a deficiency there. So how do we prepare and start the next generation to have an interest and look at this new way of thinking about agility and lean and how do we learn yeah. technology. And we're working on a last, uh, a last segment is called Lean Biz Craft, talking about how do you start <laughs> up a business and learn the craft of, of running a business using lean principles. So that's all going to be available shortly. So I think we all want to hear more about that. And we've had you talk about uh, or you've shared parts of Five Saturdays in previous podcasts. So come on back to another podcast as things swing up. I know we're only a couple months into the year and you've got things on your schedule uh, we were talking about earlier. Um, also coming up, I want to remind people that if you have not yet looked into Scrum Day Orange County and you're local to us here in Southern California, um, coming up on March 13th, Friday the 13th in Tustin, California, uh, you can go to scrumdayoc.com for more information on that, as well as reminding people about the upcoming Agile Coach Camp. Woohoo! That's right, we have that coming up in Irvine, California. Uh, coaches from across the U.S. and from Canada. I don't know if we have any other international uh, respondents yet. I'd have to ask Brett about that. But um, some 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 luminaries in mm. the field. Uh, we've got Diana Larson's going to be there. Sue Johnston, uh, Roger Brown has signed up, and then a bunch of people who are locally known um, in this area too. So for more information on the Agile Coach Camp, you can go to Agile Gathering. Dot com and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Agile Coffee. Agile Coffee. Agile Coffee. Agile Coffee.